Welcome to the sermon podcast of First Church of Christ, where our goal is to lead generations into a life-changing, ever-growing relationship with Jesus Christ. We pray that you are encouraged and challenged by today's message. Good morning, church. It's good to see you all. If you're joining us online, we're glad that you are with us as well. So I, in this moment, had to remind myself to breathe. It's not really a fun thing to have to do, you know, because you expect your body to just breathe. But I was sitting there, and by all accounts, on the externals, everything looked like it, my life should have been fine. My life should have been even happy. You know, we had good relationships. We were um, in a groove in ministry, working uh, full-time at the church there, and just uh, starting a family. And everything seemed like, on the outside, like everything should be fine. But that's not how it was. Um, I had dealt with depression before, but this was something different. Um, this idea that I, I just like uh, something, I was sitting at my desk at my home office because we worked at, I worked at a portable church. We didn't have an office. And so I was working from home. And so that I'm sitting there pray, uh, just trying to work and I'm just like overcome with this uh, wild thing that is called anxiety. And I just had to remind myself to breathe. And, and I, I didn't understand why, but have you ever, have you ever been like that? You ever been weighed down with worry so much so that you had to remind yourself to just take a breath? Like most of us, we don't actually need to think about it, right? Like we just, we're just breathing right now. And now you're thinking about it because I'm talking about it, but you're thinking about your breathing, but you'll, you know, stop thinking about it because your body will just keep doing it unless you're in the situation like I was. And I just didn't understand. But then you take a step back and you know, you start to notice some things about what you're going through. And, you know, for, for us, we were in this uh, nice little rental house. Um, it was a 50s brick house ranch. And uh, the unfortunate thing is Kyrea's uh, room, she was like two at the time, her room started to present on the walls some black mold. Not a good idea, right? Not a good thing. And so we were concerned, contacted the, the, you know, landlord and they were not being cooperative. So we had to just shut that room down. Um, and Kyrea moved into Piper's room, which was also my office. And, um, this was in that moment, like, um, I was working from home, but like I had been going pedal to the metal for quite a while, going to school full time and work full time and ministry part time and then graduating with my undergrad and then going to math, like seminary and getting my master's degree and going that full time and church work full time. And I had gotten to a point of just like before this, I had just gotten to a point where I just hit a wall and I had to stop. So I had gotten like 75% of my master's degree done at that time and I just stopped. I had a full ride and it was a big decision, but I just stopped. And so I'm sitting there and, uh, you know, we've got a newborn. Uh, Piper was just newborn and going from one child to two children is just a big thing. Like it's a, it's a big adjustment. Can I get an amen from parents? Okay. Yeah. Um, it's just a lot. And, um, so like that's going on, but I'm also like, I took time off from seminary and so that's cool. But then I decided to fill my, uh, extra time early mornings, um, in 2015, I decided to fill that with writing two books in one year. Cause I wanted to slow down. You know, uh, so like I just there was a lot of things going on that just kind of created this stew of anxiety and I, I hadn't didn't know what to do about it. I just had to remind myself to breathe because that was not just automatic. Have you ever been in a spot where you're just weighed down with worry, weighed down with anxiety? 
And, um, you know, like Max Lucado in his book, Anxious for Nothing, he um, has some questions, like diagnostic questions, that you can ask yourself and, like, maybe help to see if you're being weighed down by worry. He, here are the questions he asks. Are you laughing less than you once did? Uh, that is that a sign you might be weighed down with worry. Do you see problems in every promise? Like, I know God promised this, but here's the problem. Uh, just always trying to argue with the promises. Would, would those who know you best describe you as increasingly negative and critical? Would, would they describe you? Not, not your intentions, but just would they describe you as increasingly negative and critical? Do, do, do you assume that something bad is going to happen? Maybe you just automatically just assume that in life. You know, some of us operate with like the idea of if you just have no expectations at all, you'll never be disappointed in life, right? It's not a fun way to live, right? Um, do, do you dilute and downplay good news with, uh, with doses of your version of reality? You know, you say you're a realist, but everyone around you knows that you're a pessimist. Uh, many days would you rather stay in bed than get up? Have you ever been there? And the bravest thing you could do, like Cormac McCarthy in the road, the bravest thing you could do is just get up. Do you magnify the negative and dismiss the positive? Given the chance, would you avoid any interaction with humanity for the rest of your life? Okay, there was no slow clap that started. Okay, that's a good sign. <laughs> Amen, brother. Preach it. That's the best sermon you've ever had. Let's just go with that. Pray and let's go, you know. You know, some of us, we, we uh, grew up in households and, and we were taught this or we caught it to where when any kind of negative emotions are revealed or, or kind of spur up, we either were taught it or we caught it that the idea that any kind of uh, worry or sadness or, or, or despair or whatever, like anything negative, we're supposed to just grit our teeth and push through. That we just, we just avoid it and we keep moving forward. And, and I would just encourage you today, um, as we're talking about what to do with worry, and some of you are like, well, why are we even talking about that? That's just touchy-feely stuff. I ain't interested in that. Well, first off, Jesus talked about it. So if you're upset with the topic, talk to him about it, because um, we're just walking through Matthew. But the other point is this, like when you deal with worry and any kind of mental health things, um, the reality is your mental health impacts your physical health. Uh, this is what uh, Dr. Don Colbert in his book, Deadly Emotions, uh, cites. And this is just studies. Increasingly, we're becoming more aware of this, that emotions such as anxiety and fear have shown a direct tie to heart palpitations, mitral valve prolapse, irritable, irritable bowel syndrome, and tension headaches, as well as other diseases. In other words, like when you are dealing with stresses in your body because of dynamics between you and other people or because of dynamics inside of you because of something else, uh, your body does not distinguish between uh, real threats to your safety that are causing stress and just stresses that are inside of your heart. It's just all the same. The Im it impacts you all the same. It will impact your physical health if you are not dealing with the things that are inside of your mind, inside of your heart, and inside of your soul. It will impact you. Your soul, we are holistic individuals. Your soul impacts your body. Your body impacts your mind. Your mind impacts your body. Your body impacts your soul and all the rest. Like it's all connected to us. Uh, this is another thing he says, according to the American Institute of Stress, we're, stro we're so stressed out in America, we need an institute. Would you, can you imagine being the director of the American Institute of Stress? You know, 
That might be a more awkward um, interaction when someone asks you what you do than I get when I tell them I'm a pastor. Well, I'm, a, I'm the director of the American Institute for Stress. And you're like, okay. You, know, you just walk away. You're like, I don't want to talk to you. You just stress me out. Um, but according to them, uh, between 75 and 90% of all visits to primary care physicians result from stress-related disorders. 7.5 to 9 times out of 10, the times you go to the doctor. The reason why you're dealing with some kind of physical ailment is because that's a mere symptom of what's going on inside of your heart. So let me just remind you, please don't just say, let's just dismiss the worries and just grit our teeth and push through. Instead, Jesus is going to show us a different path, a different uh, way to deal with this. Because here's the thing, all of us deal with worry, whether you would like to admit it or not, we just don't always deal with it well. And, and what we oftentimes deal with is, is what I call the anxiety spiral. We start, we have this prompt that gets us to worry, and then we go to what if, what if, what if, what if, and it goes down this anxiety spiral to the point where we get so turned around and so wonky in our lives that things just get a little bit wild. Sorry, Tammy, for the wonky. I don't know how you'd say that. So... <laughs> Um, so if you grab your Bible, Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 is where we're going to jump into. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, uh, Jesus says this about what we deal with when it comes to worry. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add one more moment to his lifespan by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. It's that... If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? So don't worry saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. So one of the first things we need to uh, go back to is verse 25, Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Uh, it says, therefore, I tell you, whenever we're reading the Bible, it's important to come to uh, that question or that, that statement. Therefore, we have to ask the question, what's the therefore there for? Um, and so we go back and we remember that Jesus has been talking about in Matthew chapter 6, all of these things that um, we, we, he's criticizing people who are uh, trying to follow God, but they're doing it in a wrong way. And they're actually doing religious practices for the praise of people. They're, they're, they're going out and they're going out and they're praying in public and they're praying in such a magnificent and flowery way that, that, that what they want is to be seen by people. Like they want to pray, but they want people to be impressed with how well they pray. Um, and so then he's he criticizing those people. Then he's also criticizing the people who are going out to the people who are in need and say, hey, guys, look at this person. He's in need. I've got some money. I'm going to help him. Here you go, buddy. You know, and that way that people will see them. That's what we've been talking about. Those who fast and they, they, they make their face look all like, Ugh, because they want everyone to know that they're fasting. And they're not just fasting what is typical, but they're fasting extra. Like they're extra holy. You know, extra, extra holy. They biggie-sized their holiness. You know what I'm saying? 
And, and so then he comes to this point and he's talking about possessions. He's talking about our relationship with our material stuff, our, our, our treasures. He says, don't store it for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store it for yourselves treasures in heaven. So he's saying, like, you, you, go ahead and, and acquire what you need to live life. But understand, you don't need more than what you need. And instead, look at your life as a way to use those treasures to help other people, to be ones who practice generosity. And he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be bad. It will be full of darkness. And how deep is that darkness? He's, he's criticizing those who are saying, hey, um, they, they're always, they always got their eye toward the next thing. They always got their eye towards something that they don't have, and they're trying to acquire it, usually in ways that are not holy, not the right way. And then he comes down to the passage that we just looked at a couple weeks ago, um, uh, the, the end of that passage that we looked at. No one can serve two masters since either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So he is coming on the heels of that conversation and saying, if you live in, a, in such a way where you are so concerned about your material stuff and about trying to impress people, then you are going to be racked with worry. You will be worried about your life. You'll be worried about your reputation. You'll be worried about how people see you. You'll be worried about what you have and the fact that you don't have what you want because sometimes you believe that you need that $500,000 home. But sometimes God doesn't agree that that's an actual need, right? Like he, he's like, nah, like it's okay. You be faithful with what I've given you. Uh, so like, you know... And, and I just say, like, all of us know this to be true, but we so easily fall back into it. If you live life for the praise of people, the applause of people, um, you will uh, live for their applause and you will die by their criticism, right? The old adage. And it's true. Like, I know that for myself. Like, I, I kind of work in a very, like, public, like, you, I stand up here and talk. Some of you think it's too long. And that's fine. Um, and that's kind of part of it, right? Like, everyone's got an opinion, about what is going on. Like, I know, like, uh, man, Brandon, you preach too long. Or, Brandon, you don't preach deep enough. Uh, Brandon, you know, why are, why are we talking about this topic? Brandon, we need to talk about this topic. Don't talk about that topic. We need to talk about this topic. Uh, Brandon, oh, that was a, that was a good sermon. Uh, I don't know about that one. Like, I, I don't know. Like, like everyone's a critic or something. Uh, understand, like, if I were to live as if I'm just preaching for you all, I would be doing it in a way that is not faithful to God. Um, and, and if you, like, just think about your own application to that. Are you, are you doing your job for the praise of people, or are you doing it as if you're working for the Lord? Um, are, are you loving people for the sake of them making sure that they'll love you back, or are you simply loving them because Jesus has loved you? Um, th- these are the things. Like, so Jesus is in that process talking about um, worry. So, okay, if, that's, if these are your kind of uh, metrics for success, then you will be worried about your life. He says, don't worry about your life. The, the Greek word for uh, worry is merimnao. Merimnao, sorry. <laughs> uh, that, that Greek word means care for, uh, be anxious about, or meditate upon. And so like this, this idea of worry is when you are so concerned with your life that you are meditating on it, you are dwelling on it, you are clinging to it. And Jesus says like, hey, um, just like the birds of the sky, like he, they, they don't go and worry and try and store up stuff uh, like treasures on earth. Um, they're just, they know that God's going to provide what they need that day. 
Um, the, 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 the wildflowers in the, in the lawn, uh, they, they don't need anybody to go and plant them. Like they just show up. Like that's why we put fertilizer down to get rid of the weeds, right? Cause they just show up and, and God's saying like, Hey, they don't need anybody's help because God's helping them. Like they've already got the help they need. And so Jesus is saying, don't worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, what you will wear. Because like when we are dwelling on our life, we are not actually uh, seeking after what Jesus would have us seek after. What are we called to do? Love God and love people, which means that is a, uh, is a outward focus kind of lifestyle. But some of us have been so worried about our own lives that we are not any good to anyone else, let alone ourselves. Now, back in the day, anybody climb trees when you were a kid? Go ahead and raise your hands. Raise your hands. Cool. The adventurous ones. Oh, you didn't put your hands up. I'm sorry. Like you missed out, but you could still do it, but just don't hurt yourself. Okay. Um, so when you climb a tree, this is just basics, right? Um, we all know this probably intuitively, but when you climb a tree, you grab hold of the branch and the, the closer the branch is to the trunk where you grab the, the closer, the like more strong it is, right? So if you're climbing a tree and you stay near the trunk, when you're on the branches, you're going to be able to be secure on top of the tree. Unless it's like a little dinky one, then you might fall, but uh, that doesn't help with this illustration. So let's just imagine these are good branches. You're, you're climbing on it. But here's the thing. When we worry about our lives, um, it's like the kid who gets a little ambitious and is on top of the tree and they get out too far on the branch. Like they, they start climbing down the branch and, you know, eventually it gets a little bit weaker. It gets a little bit thinner. It's harder to balance on it. And then it's starting to tip and then they end up falling right to their own demise. And, and then they come running in and you have to deal with, you know, them needing a Band-Aid or whatever it is. You know, maybe, hopefully it didn't break something. But um, th- that's the thing what happens when we worry about our lives. And we are on the tree and the closer we are to the trunk, Jesus the safer we are and the more uh, aligned in our lives uh, that we are. But when we start worrying about these other things that God has said he's going to provide for us, we are getting out onto that branch and we are getting closer and closer to falling. And why wouldn't we be worried if we're so focused on the wrong things? That is what Jesus is getting at. Is your life not more than food, not more than clothing? Is your body not more than clothing? Um, like these people that Jesus is talking to are people who are so concerned about their material needs or, or so concerned about keeping up with the Joneses that they don't want to go to Applebee's. They want to go to Ruth Chris. Right? Because all of us would say, yeah, let's go there. But it's more money. That's more expensive. And not all of us can do that on a regular basis or ever. Right? And so like there's always something else. And so we're always worried about having more so we can get the nicer clothes. We don't have to go to the, uh, the thrift store. We gotta go get it brand new, whatever. Like, and so there's all these things, you know, we're, we're so focused on our, on our diet and so focused on our, our exercise and we're not focused enough on our soul. Uh, and Jesus said like, hey, If you uh, lose your life for my sake, you will find it. If you try to hold on to your life and cling to it, you'll lose it. And Jesus is just trying to help us have um, our our lives and our loves ordered properly. Augustine, St. Augustine, um, had this idea that sin is actually coming down to disordered loves. 
Um, he said, basically, sin is fundamentally just disordered love. So what is a love? Well, th- these are the things that are in our lives. And when we have disordered loves, it's like the person who loves money above, love, above loving God. This is what happens in marriages a lot of times. Uh, like the, instead of uh, loving God first and then loving your spouse and then loving your kids, some people uh, love their spouse. They put them on the throne room of their, of their lives and they put them on the pedestal of God and then they love their kids and then they love God. That's disordered loves and it leads to all kinds of problems. Or this is what happens. Uh, they love God and then they love their kids and then they love their spouse. And that creates all kinds of wild things, especially when the kids leave, because then they're like, who are you? Right? So their spouse, they're like, I don't know what to do with you. Can you leave? Because I don't want to be around you. Right? And it's just disordered love. So that's the same thing with our faith. When we look to people more than we look to God, when, when, we, when people's praise of us is at the ultimate measure of our own worth, then we will be worried because people are fickle. Their own opinions change by the passing of the wind, right? Like the waves, like even your own opinions and your own thoughts on things. Because here's the thing, like sometimes when you're so critical of other people, it's because you're not dealing with your own stuff. Am I preaching too much? Like if you're just so like concerned about other people, like maybe it's just because you've not been concerned enough about your own soul your own relationships because you're avoiding the actual things that need to be dealt with. You're just avoiding and that's not a good way to create a worry-free life. And Jesus asked a question and he asked it to them and he asked it to us. This is a really important question. Can any of you add one moment to your lifespan by worrying? The research actually shows that not only can you not add any time to your lifespan by worrying, but you actually could be taking time off of your lifespan by worrying. Because again, your mental health, your spiritual status in your own soul is all connected also to your body. And that sometimes the ailments physically are simply symptoms of the real problem. Problem is we're not dealing with them because they're in space that we're not used to going to. So he's saying, like, this is not the best for you. So what does he, what does he do? He gives us a different path, a different alternative. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Okay, Jesus, uh, don't worry about my life. Okay, don't do it. Don't do that. Well, what do I do? Verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. You're so concerned about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. Understand, if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, he's going to provide all that stuff that you're so concerned about. He's going to provide it. He's gotten you to this point, hasn't he? Yes, he has, because you're alive. And you've had moments where you were worried that you might not get past that day. You might not get past today. You were worried about tomorrow. You were worried about the next day. And here you are. You're in that tomorrow you were worried about. And he's still with you. He's still with you. He's still working. So seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Um, This is what he's trying to do. He's trying to help us have a proper ordering in life. If you have disordered loves and disordered priorities, your life will be all wonky. Think about it this. I, I played baseball in high school and in college. And there's a proper order to a swing of the bat if you want to hit the ball. 
Because if you get into the batter's box, you want to hit it, right? So um, here's here's the step. I won't. I'm, I'm, we got enough space. You're good. You're good. <laughs> so there's a, there's a correct order to things. Here's my stance. It's step one. Step one. I got an open stance. It feels good. Nice. Feel powerful. You know. So the baseball players. You know. We can work together if you want hitting lessons or something. But um, here's the thing. Um, here, first step: stance. You need to be ready. Second step: load. Okay. The ball's coming. We got, we got a nice strong platform and then we're working our hips and we're driving our hands and then here's where we make that contact and we follow through. Okay? That, that's all just part of the journey of swinging. So if you're here and the pitcher throws, alright, Mike, go ahead and throw it. Okay, here. Oh, so you guys didn't think there was a ball, right? Okay. Uh, sometimes at home I'll just like, without a bat, just be swinging and stuff and when Kyrea was like two years old, I did that and she was like, after I swung, she's like, Haha, you missed. <laughs> Little stinker. I'm like, no, that was a home run. Okay? Okay. So what Jesus is saying, you gotta, you got to do things in the proper order. you got to have the proper uh, priorities in your life. Well, here's, here's the wild thing that sometimes we do, and Jesus is getting at it. We get in the batter's box, and instead of starting here, we start here. And we're waiting for the pitcher to throw the ball. We're like, I'm ready. This is going to be great, you know. And he throws the ball, and you're like... And the only thing you can do is if you make contact with that thing, you're getting it right backwards, you know. Two steps forward, three steps back. And a lot of the times we feel like that in life, don't we? Like we're, you know, and we get, we get so frustrated because we don't know what's going on. We're just like, well, we're in the batter's box. I've got the bat. And yet I'm just... And if anyone just would just tell us, In fact, you guys can just say that. Brandon's not the right way. Go ahead. One, two, three. Thank you. Okay. Oh, so I need to start with step one, right? And then I got a better chance at making contact. That's what Jesus is trying to show us. That when we start with the right ordering in life to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, that means that we are on a better path to be able to live a life on mission in the way that he's designed us so that we don't worry about the small things in life. We don't worry about all the other stuff. And we don't even worry about the big things to the same degree that someone would if they did not have Jesus as their ultimate hope. But we do what we can do and we leave God with the rest. What does it mean to seek first the kingdom of God? Okay, if we're going to seek first the kingdom of God, and this Jesus is kind of talking about like... Um, Basically, being able to provide for your own basic necessities, right? You know, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. Like, those are all basic stuff. And so, okay, what, is it, what does that mean? Well, we all know that when you go to work, you get paid, right? And so you need to have resources in order to buy your basic necessities. Duh, Brandon. Thank you. Um, so when we go to work, and this is the thing that Jesus has shown us. He, he Actually, scriptures have a lot to say about work. Proverbs have a bunch of set, stuff to say about uh, the person who's a hard worker versus the person who's the sluggard, right? And, and, you know, scriptures even say, like, if the person doesn't provide for their own household, they're worse than an unbeliever, right? I mean, if they're capable of doing it and they don't, and then, like, they're, like that's just not good. And so there's this standard in the kingdom of God that we are under the reign and rule of Jesus, and we are connected to the body of Christ, and in so doing, when we go out to our occupations and work, we should be... Followers of Jesus, if you follow Jesus, you and I should be the best employees anybody has ever had. 
Because we work hard, but we don't just work hard for our boss or for the company or the organization, but we work hard for God. Colossians talked about don't just do things, but, but do everything, whether in word or deed, for the glory of God. You are working for God. You're not just uh, doing that plumbing work and, and doing all that. You're not just doing it for a paycheck. You're doing it for the glory of the Lord. So plumb those pipes for the glory of the Lord. Amen. You're not just teaching that classroom for the sake of those kids understanding what they're being taught, um, but you are actually doing it to the praise and glory of King Jesus. When, whenever you go into your workplace, no matter how minuscule it might seem, you are actually doing it not just for you, not just for your family, not just for your boss, but for him. And so that is the kind of mindset we have. So if you're a business owner, then, then you conduct your business with truth and integrity and love and kindness. And if you have employees, then you love them more than you love profit. Because God said to love him and to love people. He didn't say love me, love me, love prophets, then love people. He says love me and love people. So we use our business as an avenue not to just do the actual value, value proposition that we're providing, service or product or whatever, but we're actually doing this in such a way where we have an avenue to love people and to bring glory to our king. If you're a supervisor and you have employees under you, you should be the best boss they've ever had. Why? Because you're kind. You're compassionate. You expect them to work hard. But but you're also there and you actually care about their life. Like that when it comes to work, like that's why we seek the kingdom of God and we're loving him and loving people being kind and working hard. Like that is what it looks like. And so when it comes to am I going to have what I need? Well, yeah, God's going to provide it. And even if you lose your job, here's the cool thing about the early church. When people were in need, this is what they did. They gathered all their stuff. They sold what their possessions were and they brought it together. And if anyone was in need, they shared it with each other. Acts chapter two, verses 44 to 45. You can look at it. They they shared for anyone who has need. So this is, this is part of it. Like you seek the kingdom of God first. So you're part of the church, which is his kingdom, So if you're not part of the church, then you're missing out. Because here's the cool thing. We are a family, a body, a kingdom people. And we practice generosity because we are kingdom minded and and we are seeking his righteousness. So we practice generosity so that whenever anyone is in need, whenever when someone loses their job or they get hurt and they can't work their job, guess what? We have a benevolence ministry led, led by our deacons. And they are there to be able to meet needs for what, whoever is in need. And a lot of times the reason why people don't ask is because of pride. But that's why it's there. You weren't meant to just only depend on you. Like you have a, a family who can help you through life. That's why we have a widow, widowers, and orphans fund called the Eric Vitz Fund. For whenever someone is going through that, we can help them. That's, that's the church being the church, and the only way that actually happens is if we all are contributing by, through generosity and because we're seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's how this all works. So when you're part of the church, those kinds of things, like what happens if this? Well, what if this? Well, what if this? Well, you've got people on your, in your corner willing to help. And so God is designed for this to flourish. But the question is for you and for me is, are you seeking after the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Uh, maybe a different way to say it would be, 
what are you running off of? Is it, is it worry or wisdom? What are you running off of? If, you, if, you, if your body was a, was a vehicle, um, you know, for combustion engines, you got a gas, you run on gasoline, you got a, a gas tank. One of my favorite YouTubers, I've shared with this before, um, his name's, the channel's Vice Grip Garage. He goes and does revivals, and these are cars that have been sitting for 30 years, you know. And when gasoline is just sitting, it builds up all the sediment. It's just not good, because a lot of times water and all this other stuff, gunk gets inside of it. And so if you run a vehicle on bad gas for a while, and it's got a bunch of stuff in it, and gunk in it, and it's going through and going into the engine, that's not going to be good for your engine. Well, that bad gas is just like us running our lives off of worry versus running off of wisdom. So he knows, like, a lot of times you've got you to drop the, the tank, you've got to empty the gas tank of all that gasoline, of all that fuel, and you've got to put some new stuff in it. You might even need to run some new fuel lines because all that stuff's filled with gunk too, or it might be broke. You know, this is the, the idea that are you running off of worry or wisdom um, wisdom would say, like, you can differentiate between, okay, is this something that I can do something about? Or is this something I merely need to give to God? Is this something that it's their responsibility to deal with? Or is this something that's my responsibility to deal with? And then you can order your life around that kind of thing, knowing that God is with you. I love the way the message version of the Bible takes Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. This is what it says, steep your life. Steep your life like, like some tea. Steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. Here's what I want you to walk away with. The anxiety spiral stops when you do what you can do and trust God with the rest. The anxiety spiral stops when you do what you can do and trust God with the rest. Because all of us have some ants in our lives. Not the ones that are walking around on your countertops because it's springtime right now, you know. But uh, ants are automatic negative thoughts. That's what it's called in the psychology world. Automatic negative thoughts. Too many of us, like something happens, automatic negative thought. Something, something we see, automatic negative thought. And, and we run off of that. And it's kind of running off worry and and so the, the key is like stopping those ants from invading our lives because, you know, like these uh, ants, automatic negative thoughts are like the gnats at the barbecue of life. They're just always busting. You know, you want to smack yourself so much because it's just, they're always there. So I want to give you three um, E's and three questions that you can use to diagnostic, to do some diagnostics in your life when it comes to dealing with worry. Okay, um, so these are things that you can ask yourself when you're dealing with worry. You can journal about them or better yet, you can journal it and take it to God in prayer and work through these things. So when you're dealing with something that you're worried about, here are three things to help. Number one question is, what am I worried about? What am I worried about? Too oftentimes we internalize all that we feel and all that we're thinking but when we ask that question and answer it, what am I worried about? We externalize the feeling. Just like an engine uh, not only intakes air and fuel and oil and all that, but it also has an exhaust where it has to get that stuff out because if the exhaust gets plugged up, that ain't going to be good for your engine. 
So if you're living life and you are only internalizing all the stuff you're dealing with, you're not talking to somebody about it, you're not praying about it, you're not journaling about it, it will blow up eventually. And you will become a different person than you ever wanted to become because you're not dealing with it. So number one, what am I worried about? When you name it, you start to tame it. When you name it, whatever you're worried about, you start to tame it because you are bringing light to it. And I know a lot of us were not taught these things growing up. So these are new things. What am I worried about? You externalize the feeling. Number two, where is this coming from? Where is this coming from? What we're doing here is we're evaluating the situation and connected experiences that might be there. Sometimes because we have neural pathways in our brain, when we have a prompt that triggers us to go worry, it's a lot of times because we handled a situation or we had a situation happen to us that did not go well. And so our bodies go right back to that point of that prior experience. And we start to react angrily. We start to react with uh, despair. We start to react. We get melodramatic or we just draw in or whatever it is for you. Um, what are the connections to this? Where is this coming from? Because that might uh, show you some stuff that you've been avoiding that you need to bring to the light, that you need to deal with. Uh, it's the thing beneath the thing. Where is this coming from? Because remember, to stop the anxiety spiral, you do what you can do, and you trust God with the rest. Too oftentimes, we are on a spectrum. We are either um, avoiders or controllers. We either avoid it, like I'm not going to deal with it. Oh, I've got this thing in my life, this relationship or whatever, um, and I'm just going to like ignore and act as if it doesn't exist or that problem isn't there. And when you leave things that are bad alone, they usually get worse. And then others of us were controllers and we try to cling to too much and we try to carry things that we were not meant to carry that need to be given to God. And so where are you in that? Where is this coming from? Is it because you had an expectation in your household that you had to be the one who cared for your younger siblings and so you now are a control freak because you're trying to take care of everybody? What is it? Number three, what do I know to be true? This is the most powerful question you can ask. What do I know to be true? What what do I know? Okay. Let's take a step back. In light of what I know, what do I know to be true? In this, we are not just answering it with the truth, but we are entering into truth. Do you see the distinction? We're not just saying this is true, but we enter into the truth and we live in light of it. So, okay, God is on the throne. He's, he's going ahead of me. This might be a valley right now, but I know he's with me and he's going to see me through it. And I don't have to fear because he's going to prepare a table before my enemies in the valley and they will not be able to touch me uh, because God's with me. Like, what is it that you need to remind yourself? Because here's the thing. We fill in narratives. We fill in the gaps. And so then we start thinking, okay, well, this person had that look. And every time I've gotten that look from other people, it means that they're really mad at me and they are holding a grudge. And so now I'm going to fill in this narrative because that might be the case. Or they might just have one of those faces. You know what I mean? Um, and they might not even have thought about anything they're upset about. But you fill in the narrative and now you're worrying about something that's not even true. You know, fear is a response to an actual danger. Worry is usually an imagined one. And so what do I know to be true that allows us to be anchored to truth? First Peter chapter 5, verses 6 through 7 says this, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time, 
casting all your cares on him. And here's the truth that we need to remind ourselves is true and live into and enter into because he cares about you. Humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. We seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness. And then we, we, we go to him knowing that he will take our cares because he cares about us. So we don't need to hold it in. We need to externalize it and give it to him. We also might need some, some brothers or sisters to walk with us in this. And to, to see the path through. Here's an image I want you to just think about the next time you're worried. Because images are powerful, especially when the issue is inside of your brain. When the issue is inside of your mind, images help. The next time you're worried, I want you to envision, just close your eyes and envision the Father coming to you, putting his hands on your shoulders, looking at you in the eye, pulling you close and giving you a hug, and then saying, son, daughter, what's on your mind? And then in the process of you answering that, you walk through those three questions, those three E's. You externalize the feeling, you evaluate the situation with his help, and then you enter into truth with his help. The anxiety spiral stops when you do what you can do and trust God with the rest. So what do you need to do in light of whatever you're worried about? Is there something you can do? Then you need to go do that. You need to stop avoiding that. But once you do it, don't, don't, don't go to control. You need to just let him deal with the rest. If, if there's something that, that you have done, some, that you've done what you can do about it, then just let him deal with it. Pass that. You cling to him and he'll see you through. Church, would you stand? We're going to pray. King Jesus, we come to you thanking you that you are on the throne and that you have the power to deal with the things that oftentimes we're worried about. Um, You're working. You're not stagnant. And we're grateful for that. We need to, though, be reminded of it on a constant basis. And I speak for myself, and I'm sure others would agree. We need to be reminded each and every day that this journey is a surrendering to you. So, Holy Spirit, please help us, prompt us, drive us to just do what we can do in the situation. Give us discernment and to be able to walk in wisdom, to be able to do what we can do and then trust you with the rest. God, please, the next time we get into this space where we are going down the anxiety spiral, please help us to stop it. Please prompt us to just do what we can do and then trust you with the rest. God, thank you for being the God who loves us and loves us so very much that you listen to us, you don't get annoyed by us, but you walk with us and you guide us. And we're so grateful for Jesus because he has set us free. Help us to live in that. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this podcast by First Church of Christ in Bluffton, Indiana. For more information, visit FCCFamily.com.